This is the woman behind the business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livas. This week on The Woman Behind the Business, creating a legacy, why it's important and what it says about you. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livas, and I'm very excited to kick off our four-part Women's History Month series. In celebration of Women's History Month, we're honoring and recognizing four women with the Woman Behind the Business Paragon Award. This award is designed to celebrate women of distinction, whom we believe are history makers in their own right. Today, I'm elated to announce our very first recipient of the Woman Behind the Business Paragon Award, Ms. Denise Rolark Barnes. Ms. Rolark Barnes is the publisher of the Washington Informer newspaper, which is a multimedia organization founded in 1964 by her dad, Dr. Calvin Rolark. The mission of the newspaper back then and even today is to highlight positive images of African Americans. Now, if you're wondering if good news sells, it sure does. The print edition of the newspaper has a readership of over 50,000 individuals, and the online format receives a weekly average of 50,000 engagements. It is truly a pleasure to have you in studio with me, Miss Denise. Thank you so much, Angels. <laughs> I'm glad to be here as well. And congratulations on the show. I think it's fantastic. Of course, very much needed, but a fantastic uh, um, opportunity for, for me to be here and for you to to have this opportunity. To have this opportunity <laughs> and to share it with all of your listeners, particularly the women out there that are seeking um, just opportunities in the whole business arena. So, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I truly appreciate it. So, Denise, um, being that your dad founded the Washington Informer, I'm sure you probably spent many days and nights at the office. As a child, what type of career did you see for yourself? It wasn't... A newspaper career. <laughs> it had nothing to do with newspapers. Um, I actually, when my dad uh, married my stepmother, who was an attorney, and we used to spend summers going to the National Bar Convention, and I became very intrigued about the law. So my desire as a kid was to grow up, you know, go to college, go to law school, practice law, and um, and never step foot into the Washington Informer again. Mm -hmm. That's what I envisioned for myself. Now, are you an only child? Uh, I have a brother, okay. uh, but I was raised as an only child. My brother was raised in Kansas. Okay, yeah. okay. Now, when did the switch go off? I, I think it happened when you were in law school? Exactly, exactly. So well, it happened a little bit earlier because I, I graduated from Calvin Coolidge High School. Mm -hmm. uh, from there, I went to Hampton Institute. I thought you went to Howard. What I happened? Did. Well, uh, I left. You got Hampton lost. And I went oh, okay. to Howard. <laughs> oh, okay. You were lost, and then you were found. Yes, exactly. <laughs> From the H uh, H U side, yeah. Yes. Right. So, um, but when I went to Hampton and majored in po political science, okay. Um, got there, you know, had a lot of fun. Um, too much, mm -hmm. and so once I kind of buckled down and got serious about what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I realized that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in college. I wanted to graduate at some point, and uh, so I got serious about that and then decided to come home to Washington, um, apply to American University and the Howard, but ended up at Howard um, and going back into journalism. Um, I had a minor, uh, major in print journalism, a minor in radio broadcasting, mm. and um, took classes in... Um, um, political science, uh, because I still had this desire to go to law school. That was still in my plans. Um, but, you know, I came back, I wrote for The Hilltop, ended up writing for my uh, The Informer, ended up working for The Informer. My dad said, oh, you're back. <laughs> so Get to work. There, yeah, <clears throat> I was back at work. And yeah, so when I went to, I graduated and then went on to Howard Law School, and that's where I became editor of the law school newspaper. And... Um, and we had, you know, a couple of things that happened there at the law school that sort of solidified my desire to own and manage a newspaper. It was something about knowing um, that you could control the message um, if you own the medium. Mm -hmm. And so um, why did I 
have to look anyplace else when that opportunity existed right within my own family, and I was already doing it. Mm -hmm. So I got out of, I finished law school. Mm -hmm. See, I got out, but I did finish <laughs> law school and decided, let me go and work with my dad for a while and see how that works out. And then, you know, if I want to move on, at least now I'm uh, certified to do so. And I've been there ever since. Wow, that's an amazing story. And I think that oftentimes we find um, when your parents have businesses and they pass them on to you or they want to pass it on to you, sometimes I feel like as children, we're resistant or we're like, we want to find our own path and we don't want to just, you know, walk in the shadows or, you know, behind um, our parents. But what do you think is important as it relates to making sure that you leave a legacy for your family? You know, um, my father used to always say, used to have this term, you know, lawyers beget lawyers, doctors beget doctors. And I'm like, what the heck is beget? <laughs> but, um, you know, I do realize that, that in many families, I mean, and it's a historical fact, you know, if you were a farmer, you raised your children to be able to farm. You know, if you were a carpenter or a um, um, a cobbler, you know, mm -hmm. with shoes. shoes or whatever it was, if you were a doctor, if you were a lawyer, if you were um, uh, into science, mm -hmm. you find that there's always someone in the, the, the family line, that child or those children that follow in those footsteps. You try to expose them as much as possible because you are trying to direct a career for them and a path. And I think that's what has made many black-owned businesses and other businesses successful because they're generational. Mm -hmm. uh, if you know, look at a publication like the Washington Post, you know, and I don't know if folks have seen the movie, but I use that as an example where, you know, uh, Philip Graham owned the paper. Mm -hmm. He decided to leave it to his, um, um, his daughter's husband, you know, his son-in-law, mm. he committed suicide. It ended up going to um, his daughter, mm. um, uh, Philip Graham's daughter. She ended up getting it anyway. And then from her, it went to her son. And then her son, from her son, it went to the niece. Mm. <laughs> now it's gone to Jeff Bezos. It's out the family. It's whatever. Um, but in, in many cases, uh, black-owned newspapers and black businesses, Lee's Flores is, is another example of a generation, three generations of family members that have owned that flower shop on U Street that's been there many years. Um, uh, Ben's Chili Bowl, mm -hmm. a generational and a legacy of, of ownership mm -hmm. uh, in, that, in that area. So I think uh, it makes sense um, to try. Uh, young people have, well, we all have so many options now. I mean, I had options. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, and, and it's, not, it's not that it's any easier when it's legacy, mm -hmm. but it is easier. Right. <laughs> well, know. that actually leads to my next question, which is oftentimes when you are left a legacy business or mm -hmm. whatever it is, um, outsiders who have no idea, they think, oh, well, if, if it were equal playing grounds, I could have had that too. Or, you know, she wouldn't have that. What do you, have, have you ever experienced that where people have looked at you and been like, well, you only have this because your dad gave it to you or, you know, it was an, it came down to you from your family? No, I've never, really, never, never experienced that. I mean, I think that what what I experienced more so than anything else was people assumed that the paper was going to flop, disappear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, Dr. Rollar's gone. Everything that he created is going to disappear because, again, I don't think we always think about legacy and understand the importance. So when a when a when a child comes up and decides to to actually take over. Not well. Is given mm -hmm. um, the business to uh, or asked to fulfill um, that path. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, people look and try to figure out whether you know it's because the the assumption is that it's going to die. Mm -hmm. That's the assumption, and so the biggest challenge that I faced when, was when people said, you know, how are you going to fill your father's footsteps? Mm -hmm. And it took me maybe about seven or eight years to realize I would never be able to do that. Mm -hmm. I had to create my own. Mm -hmm. And I don't really think, I was telling someone today that I don't think my father even thought 
the newspaper would survive as long as it had. Because he had left to go do something else. You know, I was basically just babysitting the newspaper <laughs> until I decided what I wanted to do. If I had decided I wanted to go practice law, you, you know, he have. may have just let the paper die. Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, he wasn't making any money from it. And uh, he figured it would never make money uh, because it was just such a difficult business. So when people see that the paper has continued, um, you know, I, I, there's a sense of pride, I think, that I get to feel because others feel that we've been successful. We've made it happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, you know, that that's what I've lived with, but never that other situation <laughs> that I'm aware of. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, that, but that's awesome um, mm-hmm. that you've never experienced that. I know I've experienced that one. <laughs> but um, now, how would you say... Um, the industry has shifted. Um, I mean, you have so many other new mediums that people can partake in. And looking at your numbers, you still have a good viewership and readership, um, both online and in the print format. So what is it that you think that the Washington Informer is doing to keep the community engaged? And it's not just news, it's good news. So how are you able to do that? Well, quite honestly, it's through prayer. <laughs> Lots of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things we even do at our staff meetings sometimes because we don't, you know, we know what our job is. We were like you and, and the interns here and others. I mean, most of us were trained to be journalists. Mm-hmm. We were either trained in the print, on the print journalism side. We were trained in broadcast journalism um, uh, not too many folks that work with me are in television, but I mean, at this point in time, that's just as critical mm-hmm. as a person that can write that printed word. So, um, you know, we just keep our eyes on, focused on what our mission is, and that is to tell the stories of those 95% of uh, people in our community who are doing good things. We leave the 5% that are doing bad things um, or doing things that are having negative impacts on our community to to the other storytellers, mm-hmm. you know, those dailies and whatever else. They can tell those stories. Plus, it's, it's a lot of it going on. So my, my um, philosophy, philosophy has always been we'll never be able to stay on top of the negative news mm-hmm. uh, because it happens, you know, so quickly. Mm. But um, we can do... We can tell a lot of positive stories because that's what most of our people are engaged in. Mm-hmm. And um, and it seems as though our our readers and our uh, now our viewers on social media and our website, our e-blast, all the things that we've now introduced into our our uh, portfolio portfolio, right. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as we continue to do those things, we have a following. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, you know, the challenge has been, as with any institution, uh, is to is to try to do what you do, you know, print this paper, write these stories, and do it well, while learning all this other technology mm-hmm. as, as it has come along, because it came along... I mean, I think I just threw away the fax machine the other day. <laughs> I was like, yeah, someone called me and said, Denise, I want to send you a story. Can I fax it? I'm like, I don't no. know how to receive a fax. <laughs> but uh, remembering the day that we first got our uh, got our first fax machine. But, you know, so we're, we're having to learn the technology mm-hmm. and having it's it's in over the last couple of years, you know, we brought in um, younger staff members who are trained now mm-hmm. in, in in sort of the new media, mm-hmm. and uh, that's helped us. Um, but you know they're sort of solo, and so we have to help them to feel that you know inclusive, included, mm-hmm. right in what in what we're doing because um, we need them. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we're sharing with them what we know about just how to get good stories written. Now, do you ever run into situations where um, the millennials um, are kind of resistant to what has worked in the system and trying to um, impart, hey, this is, you know, this is the new trend. This is what you should be doing. Like, do you run into that where 
I mean, I used to work at AARP and, you know, one of the things was always, well, this is kind of how we do things or mm-hmm. whatever. But sometimes younger, more youthful and, you know, fresh out of college, we're like so ambitious and like, we got to try this. Like, how open is the informer to that? Uh, well, even breeding that type of environment where they feel like, yes, our ideas are valued. I think early on it was more difficult than it is now. Um, I remember when we transitioned from, um, you know, the traditional typesetting to uh, desktop publishing. Mm. My editor, as I mentioned to you earlier, who's from the Bahamas, Mm -hmm. told me, there's no way you can type into a computer and, and, and produce a whole page to lay out a whole page, you know. And we worked around him. I was the millennial <laughs> then, I guess. I don't know. But we had to work around him. We said, okay, look, you you just keep, you, you set him up, you type right here, and we'll right. grab everything and, and produce it. And after a while, I mean, he was, he was really sold. Um, and so, you know, as the technology changes, even with photographers, you know, our photographers were adamant. You know, they didn't want to download photographs. They didn't want to share photographs electronically. They were concerned about, you know, people right. lifting their photos. They didn't mm-hmm. want it on the Internet. Oh, mm-hmm. it, was, it, was, it was a nightmare. But we had to, we had to force that along. Mm-hmm. And so today it's really different. Now we get uh, millennials mm-hmm. um, in, and I'm trying to say, look, push us. Tell right. us what you know. Tell us what you got. <laughs> you know, show us what you got. But t- you know, we we're trying to learn from them as well. And and it's funny because you know some of the, I, I think what people say about millennials is that that's why I always say you know you have to define yourself because mm-hmm. people are out here trying to define you. Mm-hmm. And I find that you know while. They're social media savvy. Not everybody's on social media. Not everybody likes social media. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot still pick up and read newspapers and books. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a stereotype that uh, doesn't fit At every all. millennial, right? Exactly. And so, um, you know, I'm 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 trying to push mine to make sure. I mean, they know how to use a, use social media on a on a in a personal um, capacity. capacity, but not necessarily professional right and that's what we are having to teach and so no it, it works probably the one I'm having the biggest challenge with is my own son so yeah. <laughs> I can understand that yes <laughs> you know him no <laughs> I have two boys also oh, okay. so but all they're right. much younger yeah yeah um all right so you mentioned books as another medium mm-hmm. have you ever considered um creating a publishing house only because I think that was my father's plan. Mm-hmm. When he started the Washington Informer, it was the Washington Informer Newspaper Publishing Company. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the first things he did back then was to publish a book, a pamphlet called Know Your D.C. Government. Mm-hmm. And he did it um, at a time when, before we had home rule, um, before we could vote, uh, for members of you know city council before we vote before we could vote for president, and he wanted uh, Washingtonians to see who ran Washington, and to get a pictorial look of the fact that while there was a lot of black folks here, it was mostly white folks that were running the city, mm-hmm. and um, so it was just a pictorial of of, of people, a little pamphlet, and I, you know, in my mind, I think that he foresaw. Um, a company that would publish other things besides the newspaper. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think about it. Okay, so what's it going to take for you to make that happen? Because I got, you know, a couple more books in me. And I know you have a book in you. Yeah, yeah, I have a couple. Um, and so I, I don't know yet. Just give me, <laughs> give me, give me another, uh, give me... Give me ninety days. <laughs> now you know I will come. Yeah, I will yeah. come knocking because I have had people to call and ask. You know, do you publish books? And the answer to that question right now is no. Um, it's a whole different arena. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot more that I need to learn about the publishing business. Mm-hmm. Um, thought about um, actually pursuing that uh, professionally to mm-hmm. see what what it is I need to know and how to make that happen. But presently, um, you know, we what we publish, and we do publish things outside of the Washington Informer, but they're still in a newspaper, newspaper type format, uh, newsletter, yeah, kind of format. Okay. Still printed, um, 
instruments, yeah. And so talk to me a little bit about this book that's within you. Well, there are two. I mean, of course, one is just, you know, Denny from the hood, I guess, you know, but Denise. <laughs> Denise oh, so your, your hood name yeah, was Denny? <laughs> no, I, that's what my father called me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just the, it's the story of growing up in a newspaper family. Um, I mean, I'm not like uh, Linda Johnson mm-hmm. of um, Ebony, Ebony mm-hmm. but um, but then in a little bit, the stories are the same. Mm-hmm. You know, they're similar. And so, uh, and then growing up in Washington, D.C. at a time um, when the city transitioned, you know, um, remembering not really well, but, you know, the day Dr. King was assassinated, watching the city burn, um, knowing what was going on before then, uh, what happened after that, um, and how it impacted what we did as a newspaper, but also impacted me personally Mm -hmm. in helping to um, sort of create the person that I, that I am now, whatever kind of person that is. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one. And then the other is, um, well, a couple, one about my dad, Mm -hmm. you know, and just his, um, you know, how he was able to transition from, um, the work that he did when he came to Washington, starting a newspaper and then starting this institution called the United Black Fund. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, that's a historic fight. Um, it was, it, the organization has a lot of history, and I'm not sure what the future of that organization is right now, but um, I just don't think that his legacy should be forgotten. And then the third is something on women in publishing. It disturbs me because when I read magazines like Editor and Publisher and some of the others, they always talk about women in the media, mm-hmm. and they always exclude black women. Mm-hmm. And so when they talk about how many women are at the helm of newspapers, well, when, within the black press, I'd estimate there are probably about 40 or 50 of us mm-hmm. that are publishers of newspapers. Many of us are second or third generation publishers. Oh, wow. Some of us are um, the um, widows of publishers. Um, and, um, you know, and, and they're th- that whole why we continue to do what we do and what influence we've had on, on the business. And those newspapers are, have been successful. Mm-hmm. So somebody's got to help to tell that story. Right. Yeah. And we have, you know, our, our heroes. I'm reading right now another book on Ida B. Wells, mm-hmm. um, you know, who um, whole career was in publishing but, you know, focusing primarily on the lynching of black men. Mm-hmm. And uh, she used to carry a gun and, uh, you know, just to protect herself. And her newspaper building was burned down. I mean, she was challenged by the system, but she challenged the system. Mm-hmm. And so and there are lots of other women who have published newspapers that black women that I think uh, stories need to be told. Awesome. Now. Before we switch gears um, into our next segment, um, what's the difference in your roles from being the publisher to the editor-in-chief? At the Washington Informer, there really is no difference. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you could call today and can I speak to the editor once upon a time? And I'd say, hold, please change hands and you say speaking, you know, or can I speak to a reporter? Can I speak to managing editor? Can I speak to, you know, office manager, photographer, um, maintenance person, whatever it was, <laughs> that, that was always me. Today, the difference is um, um, the editor, uh, who right now is a gentleman named Kevin McNear, mm-hmm. um, who's had a long history in working with other, mostly black-owned newspapers around the country, um, he focuses pre- specifically on the editorial content mm. of the newspaper, what the stories are going to be, what our editorial schedule is going to be, assigning. I mean, in, in larger newspapers, you probably have five people that do these different pos- jobs that I'm talking about. But that's what he does, focuses on the editorial content. As publisher, I'm I'm responsible for the day-to-day operations. I mean, it could be a managing editor, but I don't have that person. So that's what I'm responsible for, making sure that, um, you know, the, the paper 
gets out and is published on time, but that it has the advertising that it needs, that it's uh, being marketed uh, properly, that we can pay our writers and pay our photographers mm-hmm. and that the facility that we're in uh, is paid for and kept up and that, you know, uh, human resources issues are are um, kept up, you mm-hmm. know, uh, insurances and all that. Um, so I kind of oversee everything, the world of the Washington Informer. And how often is the, the publication published? We The paper is published weekly. Okay. Um, you know, I got... This Thursday, this week's issue for you, hot off Yay. the press. They just delivered it a couple of hours ago, and um, but you know, online we're daily. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, well, we're gonna take a pause here, mm-hmm. um, but it's time for our tech talk segment. So when we come back, we will continue our chat with Denise Rolock Barnes, and we'll dive deeper into who the woman behind the Washington Informer is. Stay with us. It's time for our tech talk. Today we have Delisa Johnson in studio with us to share some great technologies for us that we should be utilizing. So Delisa, what you got? Hey Angel, how are you? I'm well. Today I'm gonna talk about Park Mobile, the app. Oh, help me with my parking. Yes, ma'am. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. So talk to me, how does Park Mobile work? Park Mobile is a safety net for all business owners, small and large, on the go in the metropolitan areas. Okay. It allows you to prepay your parking in advance and pick a parking spot. It allows you to go to the meter and have no money at all and use other technologies like scan capabilities. And it also allows you to use credit cards and you are protected. Okay, so wait a second. I need you to talk to me about this prepay (laughs) before I arrive. How does that work? So um, they just rolled out a new component of Park Mobile where you can pay before you arrive. So basically, it's almost like reserving a parking space in advance. Let's say you have an event on 9th Street, which is very busy down in Chinatown or something, and you know you have to be there by 7. You can pre-reserve your parking space, and it will be available for you. No one could... No one else could use that park space because it would be reserved. Okay, so, like, is this in a parking garage? Because I feel like somebody would just swoop up in there and be like, yo, I, the, the meter was broken. You know, so how, how are they going to manage that? So, um, in some areas, it is already being set up. So, some areas don't have it yet. It's only for certain areas. So, when you go into the D.C., now you have, like, these park numbers mm-hmm. on the streets. Mm-hmm. And if that park number says 0306, it will show you in the Park Mobile app that 0306 is available and it is available for you to reserve it. If you reserve it, someone else can park there and say, oh, I want to park and use the Park Mobile. It will say this space is already reserved. So basically, they will be ticketed if their license plates are ran and your car is not there. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's really awesome. That is a nice feature, especially yeah. to have in D.C. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a lifesaver when you're on the go and you're running late. It's, it's a lifesaver. If it's available. If it's right. not available, Park Mobile in general is just a great... How many times have we gone somewhere and didn't have enough change? Mm-hmm. And then we have to walk out the door and find change and come back and put 10 cents in. Yeah. Or you only have American Express credit cards and it only takes Visa and MasterCard. (laughs) Absolutely. So I think it's important for small business owners to think about those small things. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you for introducing us to the Park Mobile app or just this new feature, which I did not know about. Um, If you want to learn more about the Park Mobile app, visit us online at WBB Talk and join us next week for more Tech Talk. Welcome back to the Women Behind the Business Talk Show. I'm your host, Angel Livis, and our guest today is Denise Rolock Barnes. Previously, we were talking about legacy and the importance thereof. And now we're going to talk more about the woman, literally the woman, Denise, or what's your daddy call you? Denny? Denny. Mm-hmm. Denny, um, behind the Washington Informer. So earlier you mentioned you have a son um you have two boys two sons mm-hmm. two sons um you're married mm-hmm. and you're also married to the washington informer um because you grew up with it it's right. been a part of you um for your life most of your life so talk to me about how you've handled managing all of these different roles that you're called upon to to be there for and execute and be amazing at all times 
So I'm going to go back to that word that I used before, which was prayer. prayer. <laughs> yeah, because, um, you know, it was it was really difficult in the beginning um, because, um, you know, just getting married, having a child in our first year of marriage, um, still trying to run the newspaper, um, still trying to be, you know, a hands-on mom, which I, you know, have been. And, you know, helping my sons to stay engaged in the things that they wanted to do or I thought they, my husband, I thought they should be doing, you know, their sports and uh, music activities and all that. Mm-hmm. And trying to get all that stuff done was just crazy. And looking back, I don't know how I did it. I really don't. At this point, I mean, if I had to, I guess I do could do it all over again. But... I've put that out of my mind. It was, <laughs> it was just a challenge. And then, um, uh, you know, and still trying to keep them. I mean, they, they would come to the office. You know, the boys would come. They didn't know what the heck we were doing there. But, you know, they would come and you were trying to put the newspaper out and they're balling papers and playing basketball. And I'm like, that's our copy for the week. <laughs> um, so, but it's it's been, it was you know, it, it, you do what you have to do. Right. And so, you know, I, I juggled and I juggled and I juggled and uh, made it happen. What would you say was one of your your roughest years? Um, age one, like I have t- two young boys, so they're three and five. And so I totally understand like that balancing it all and, you know, um, bringing them into the office. <laughs> pulling on equipment and all that. But what would you say was like probably your hardest time in where you felt like, you know, I'm being stretched and I'm feeling like I'm getting thinner and thinner and thinner? Um, When my dad died Mm -hmm. in 94. Um, Fortunately for him and for us, his illness lasted about three months. Um, but it was the year, it was, you know, months leading up to that and then the year following that uh, because there were just a lot of things going on. I mean, the newspaper was struggling, trying to, you know, keep my boys focused. They were probably about um, seven and nine then. Uh, so they're kind of transitioning a little bit, you know, into... Teenage. Yeah, teenage. oh, gosh. And, um, <laughs> and you know, at the same time, even though I have been blessed to have a very supportive family, um, there were times when they were not. Mm-hmm. And they felt uh, early on that I was wasting my time. You, I had a law degree. And uh, why aren't you out here practicing law and making money? Like, you know, it just happens. You mm-hmm. go practice and then the money falls from the sky. So, um, and they thought I should be doing that and, you know, just thought I was wasting my time with the paper. And, you know, I'm trying to tell them, no, I'm not, even though I can't make payroll, I can't pay myself, you know, utilities have been, I mean, all, all of that happening over a couple of years mm-hmm. really was extremely Stressful, so much so that at one point I was very angry with my father for leaving me here <laughs> with this mess. <laughs> um, but I prayed my way through that, and uh, you know it, it 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 got better. It got better, but that was tough. That was a really tough time. And oftentimes, and you know, when we're praying our way through these situations, um, there's something that keeps us there? What kept you? The the need, I think, that um, the Washington Informer fills mm-hmm. um, or meets. Um, you know, I kept saying to myself, if, you know, the first black newspaper was founded in 1827, March 16, 1827, and that was close to you know, 50 years before slavery was abolished. And I kept saying to myself, if they could publish a newspaper at a time when it was illegal for black folks to even read, let alone vote or, or own property or anything else, but if um, John Russworm, Samuel Cornish, Frederick Douglass, and there are a host of women who were publishing newspapers because of the, the need for black folks to have a voice, 
that's, you know, that, and they did it then, that there shouldn't be anything too tough for me. There's a sign I have on my wall that said, um, um, if you think you're having a hard day, think of what Harriet Tubman did for a living. Mm. And so that, you know, kept me encouraged, mm-hmm. you know, and kept me saying, you know, this, I, I can't give, if, if I stop, it's because I've given up. Right. And I can't give up. Right. I just can't. That's amazing. I need I need a copy. <laughs> I need a copy of that message. Because <laughs> um, they say, like, the more you see those motivational things, it keeps you encouraged. Mm-hmm. It keeps you pushing forward. Right. Um, what do you do to give Denise relief and me time? What What does that look like for you? I read. Okay. Um, that's, that's one of my most favorite pastimes is reading. Um, I like... I don't, I never have, let me put it this way, I've always liked music, mm-hmm. but I'm not a consumer. I don't buy it. You know what I'm saying? Do you have rhythm? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am the party animal <laughs> right here. Like, I'm like, you know, maybe you don't have rhythm. Maybe that's why you don't like, you know, oh, no, the no, music. No, part. I love it. It's just that I don't, you know, I, I don't know who the artist is. It's like sports. You know, yeah. I don't know who the team that's playing. I love, I used to play um, uh, flag football when I was. Me um, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> softball. I love sports. Yeah. I don't follow teams. Right. Right. I just like to watch the game. Right. I love music. I don't follow the artist. And I had to say that because my youngest son now is, you know, uh, an aspiring artist. So I have to know what he's doing um but i like music you know Mm -hmm. i liked and that that takes the edge off of things and then um i am um in a way an exercise buff but i don't do it like i should be (laughs) you know i'm very um down on myself for not so every monday i say monday i'm going to start working out again (laughs) start working out again but i love you know physical exercise right right and um and i like to cook nice don't do it like i used to (laughs) but i really do enjoy going into the kitchen and really sort of with a nice glass of wine Mm -hmm. and just taking my time Mm -hmm. um to um connect with the onions (laughs) (laughs) or the the bell peppers (laughs) or the No, onions make you cry. But yeah. anyway, so I really connected. But no, I like to spend time, you know, preparing food and cooking for others. Right. So. That's what I was going to mm-hmm. say. Most of the time, like, because I enjoy cooking as well. But it's it, the the part of the cooking, it sometimes can be therapeutic. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, when people sit down and they're enjoying it. Right. That makes right. it like, and they can sit around the table and it sparks conversation. Mm-hmm. That's the part that makes it worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we've you talked a lot about your dad and your stepmother. What happened with your mother? My mom's still here. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I grew up with my mother. My f- mother and father divorced when I was two. Okay. And, um, you know, so I grew up with my mother, but and I spent summers and weekends and holidays with my father and stepmother. Mm-hmm. They just seem to have, have had the <clears throat> greatest influence on me on career okay. uh, and from community service and all that. Although my mother's been, she used to, she started the AARP chapter in in, um, in Ward 8, one of the chapters over oh, there. Nice. And so she's very active and, in, and, uh, and engaged in a lot of ways. She's um, <clears throat> in her mid-80s now, but you would think that she was, she's a party animal too. <laughs> <laughs> and she's much younger. Um, Keeps and, you youthful. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, she's um, worked for district government for many, many years, retired from the district. And um, so. So what do you currently do outside of um, your work with the newspaper to give back? Um, you know, there are a few things that have been on my plate. Uh, I know you probably know for a couple of last two years I was chairman of the National Newspaper Publishers Association Mm -hmm. uh, which was a volunteer position that I ran for I was elected to serve (coughs) excuse me for two years and um, so that was my way of just trying to build the press of the build a brand of Mm -hmm. the black Black press press. Mm -hmm. and um, I was the 
kind of co-founder of what we call the Martin Luther King uh, Peace Walk, which occurred after the parade stopped a few years ago. And now, you know, I produce, with along with a couple of others, the Martin Luther King Parade. I don't know if you saw that in January, but every January for we did our 12th um, annual uh, parade uh, on the holiday, um, January 15th. Well, this year was the 15th, but that third Monday. Um, I also, Washington Informer has what we call Washington Informer Charities, mm-hmm. which is a nonprofit, and we focus on literacy. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there are internship programs that we offer. We work with uh, students in various schools to help to produce their school newspapers. Um, we will be beginning a scholarship uh, program. I hope it starts this spring. We're working on that now. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm like Denny from the hood. You know, when folks say, you know, I need, I need whatever, my phone rings. Right. And, you know, it's like, Denise, can you? <clears throat> Mikey is more like Mikey. But uh, Denise, can you? And if I can, I will. You know, I just like um, trying to support financially, but mostly I don't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. so I try to do what I can as far as uh, giving time and service. I love it. Now, you didn't mention the spelling bee. Well, <clears throat> thank you. I didn't, and thanks for bringing it up. Um, <laughs> the spelling bee, uh, D.C. Citywide Spelling Bee, is now in its 36th year. Wow. Um, the, um, um, what do you call them, the cluster bees took place the first week of February. Okay. Um, the Citywide Spelling Bee will take place in March, mm-hmm. and it'll be televised, as it has been over the last 35 years, on Channel 4. Okay. In April, on I think it's Sunday, April the eighth. Okay. Um, two years, three years ago, we started uh, sponsoring the Prince George's Spelling Bee because you know the Gazette used to publish, used to uh, sponsor it, mm-hmm. and they um, uh, are now they defunct. They mm-hmm. went out of business, mm-hmm. so we took over in Prince George's County, and uh, so we do the Prince George's County Spelling Bee as well. We do an annual African American Heritage Tour. Um, this year, unfortunately, we missed February, but we're looking to put something really special together that will happen later in the summer. Okay. Um, so now with yeah. that spelling bee, like how many kids are you up to? You started 36 years ago. How has it grown over the years? You know, it, 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 it was really big in the beginning. It kind of slacked off. It, it depends on what's happening in the school system mm-hmm. and how we can keep um, educators um, engaged because students mm-hmm. have to come through their school in order to participate. So it's some adult in the school has to say, okay, we're going to have a spelling bee mm-hmm. and make that happen. So we have averaged about 2,000 students a year. Wow. And um, when we get to the citywide, we're down to somewhere about between, um, I'll say, 32 and 36 kids who Mm -hmm. participate. Um, One of the stories I like to tell is the fact that, I I don't know if you ever saw the movie Aquila and the Bee. Yes. So when um, we met the producers of that film, um, I had to mention to them that, you know, the Washington Informer was the first African-American newspaper to participate in the National Scripps uh, spelling bee, and we actually had to threaten scripts uh, with a uh, an injunction mm. that would keep them from having the national spelling bee because in the beginning it had to be a daily newspaper. Mm-hmm. There were no black dailies in the country, which meant that no black newspaper could participate, right. which was inherently discriminatory. Mm. So quickly they changed the rules. <laughs> we became the first black newspaper. And they knew that story. The mm. producers of Aquila and the Bee knew that story. That's why they selected a black girl mm. to be the, the, winner. the, the, yeah, final, the yeah. focus of uh, Aquila. That's right. why they selected her. Um, and that that role, uh, uh, the role for a black child to to play Akila. So that is amazing. Yeah, we've had some influence on <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, what are some of the things that are forthcoming for for Denny from the Hood? Uh, well, Denny from the Hood has produced a a son 
and, and some millennials who are now producing um, an insert to the newspaper called WI Bridge. Mm-hmm. And we are really working to make the bridge grow. It's a What's publication a for, right, it's a publication for millennials. It's written by millennials, laid out, photographs, everything. That's their newspaper. Mm-hmm. And so we're going into our third year. Uh, in uh, March Mm -hmm. and so my son um, Lafayette Barnes has uh, come in and he's um, getting very engaged with that along with Serafina Wright who's the editor and um, so we're looking to really um, push the bridge because again you know with the change in the transition Mm -hmm. in the district Mm -hmm. and the gentrification and all that Mm -hmm. you know young African Americans are still asking the question that I used to ask where do you go to meet people where do we hang out Mm -hmm. where's our community and so that's what the bridge is going to look at uh, or has looked at and then issues that impact millennials from you know their perspective now is there a section in the Washington Informer dedicated to women entrepreneurs there isn't so you know what I'm about to pitch (laughs) Uh, let me see if I can find the page for you. <laughs> find some space. No, but yeah. if there, even if it's just like a, a little like feature of the week, the woman entrepreneur of the week, or something where, because, yes. where, does it exist? Yeah, it doesn't, and uh, that I know of mm-hmm. here, uh, maybe on a in, national level. And in the Bahamas, that, it does. Yeah. So when we did our retreat um, in Nassau last year. That's where we would be featured, like in the um, the Nassau Tribune or the mm-hmm. 242 or the um, the Guardian. Mm-hmm. There was a women's section. And I thought, like, y'all have a regular, and even though it may have, it may have only been a page, but it was a place where they could highlight and profile women in business. Mm-hmm. So we're going to work on that. At, it's, it's um, I, I welcome, you know, that section. I welcome a lot in the paper. There's a lot more we could do and we're only limited by advertising. That's the only thing that limits us on page count. Well, that's what pays the bills. Exactly. (laughs) So, um, but women in business, I think is, it's, uh, I like what you're doing and I think women need a way to connect and network, Mm -hmm. mentor, support Mm -hmm. each other, communicate with each other uh, because there's still a lot of challenges we face in, Mm -hmm. in the business, whatever business we're doing. Right. So um, I think it's a great, would be a great feature. Now, how do you stay connected with other women um, in the newspaper industry? I know you said there are about 40 other um, African-American women publishers. Um, what do you do to make sure that you guys have that relationship um, where you guys can openly communicate, share dialogue, and learn from yeah. each other's situations. Uh, well, I haven't um, up to this point. I think that um, the National Newspaper Publishers Association offers us a chance to do that, mm-hmm. um, and that would have been um, is something that I'm going to try to um, push. Mm-hmm. You know, going forward, because you know we tend to look at, and a lot of us tend to look at ourselves as black first, mm-hmm. and then being a woman is secondary. And so when people are, um, and we haven't quite figured out how to use our, our um, gender mm-hmm. like others have, you know, to uh, gain more benefits. I mean, the fact that the Washington Informer is not only black-owned, but is woman-owned. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just, it, it was, it's always an afterthought for me. But I think if we can look at ways in which we can, uh, that will benefit our businesses by using... Um, recognizing the influence mm-hmm. that gender has, um, that's when I think folks will want to listen. But otherwise, you know, we're all we're all talking about being black newspaper publishers, right. you know. And we're in these silos. Yeah. Um, and I know one of the things that I've constantly been hearing is, you know, it's the year of the woman. But um, I don't think it's just the woman. I think it's women. Because if we can rally together and figure out ways that we can collaborate, we can build and forge partnerships, and we can push our voice and our messaging through those collaborative partnerships, then we can be so much more powerful than just being in our individual silos and even crossing over into other areas. So like, let's say this conversation turns into a collaborative partnership where now the Washington Informer has like regular features, you know, with us here 
or um, in our woman behind the business talks or mm-hmm. whatever it is. But moving into other mediums where um, it's not just the same routine of what we're used to, but getting uncomfortable because that's where our growth will happen. And we need to, I mean, I've learned now, you know, my father used to talk about numbers, but um, in a joking way, and I won't tell you what he used to say about it, but, um, but um, you know, it, the fact is that, you know, other folks always study numbers. Mm-hmm. And for us, you know, we also need to study numbers because as we're coming to, you know, where where are we right now on the paradigm as it relates to, you know, women-owned businesses or mm-hmm. whatever. And so as we begin to network, where are we trying to go measuring, mm-hmm. you know, what, what difference growth. that's making mm-hmm. uh, as we interact with one another? You know, that, I mean, I think how much more revenue are we generating? How many more jobs are we creating? How many more businesses are we uh, establishing? Right. Um, what's the success rate of those businesses? So as long as we're, National Council of Negro Women used to keep uh, numbers like that. Wow. And we've kind of lost that with some of our organizations because we're not involved. Right. Some of us don't understand the value of right. what those numbers can do. Right. All right. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, but now it's time um, for our healthy tip with Dr. Tia Hill. And when we come back, it'll be time for our moments from the valley. Okay. This week on WBB Health Tips, we have Dr. Tia Hill in studio with us, and she is talking to us about nutrition mm-hmm. and the importance of all of those things that we put in our bodies. Yeah. So everything from the food that we eat to the wine that we drink to all that. So yeah. give it to us, Dr. Hill. Um, first off, eat breakfast. The thing about breakfast is that it's, it's, it regulates your metabolism. So if you are a CEO that is trying to lose weight, make sure that you get that morning meal in because what it does do is it starts, it gives your body the fuel that it needs to get going. Um, I'm very big. I'm a protein person. I'm very big on protein. I know a lot of people are not, but one of the things about protein that it does do, especially if you have it in the morning, it carries you through. So that you don't have the need to want like certain type of snacks or crave certain sugars. So that's some of the things that I would definitely tell you. Eat a good salad and don't forget your vegetables. They have fiber. Really? Yeah, fiber, you know. But you got to say it like that. Like, don't forget fiber, your vegetables. You know, people don't like the word fiber because a lot of grandparents mess people up with prune juice. <laughs> you are everything. <laughs> so, you know, people hear fiber, they they panic, you know. <laughs> but fiber is really, it's, it's vital too. Yes, because it cleans your system. You, you need to flush. You you need to clean out greens. Help you flush out not collard greens and oil, but like <laughs> like salads flush out. Now, how important is it to make sure that the things that we're eating um, are healthy to ensure that we're able to think clearly, um, mm-hmm. make good decisions, and. Um, not feel bogged down. I know oftentimes like after a heavy meal, like you're mm-hmm. tired, you feel sluggish or even just like when you're like bloated too, like it yeah. just makes it like, you don't feel like being bothered with nobody. You don't want to put no clothes on. Mm-hmm. So how important is it to make sure that like the things that you're putting into your body that, you know, you're, you're cognizant of. So that's a good point because a lot of people will say, oh, after Thanksgiving, they feel very heavy. Well, turkey is known to have an enzyme that allows you to feel sleepy. So omega-3, like uh, salmon, Oh my, it, you will feel rejuvenated. Like that's certain things from that zucchini eggplant. That is also something that it's just a, it's a solid food, but it doesn't weigh you. Mm-hmm. It's not like eating a steak. A steak is a heavy food that can weigh you down, but understanding the difference in vegetables and how they're comparable to meat. So if you do have eggplant, I know that's a good one. Zucchini is really amazing. Um, and other squashes in the squash family. Mm. Um, and cheese. I know people don't like if you're not lactose intolerant. Cheese is good as well because you can cheese. drink that. You know, what I mean, sorry, you can eat that. I was like, drink it. <laughs> no, you can eat it. And then we, if you have to have an evening drink, you can have wine and cheese. Okay, a nice little combination and celebratory beverage. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good for your heart, right? Yes. 
No. It is. It is. It is. You can't have a bottle. Like, you can't be like, oh, I'm drinking a bottle because it's for my heart. heart. No. No, we're not doing that. But a glass. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Hill, for joining us in studio once again um, and for this wealth of information as it relates to nutrition and the things that we're putting into our bodies and how it has been beneficial to our mental health. If you want to learn more, visit us online at WBBTalk.com. Okay, now it's time for Moments from the Valley. This is when we share a Valley moment that you didn't think you would overcome and how you actually overcame the situation. So um, I guess the floor is yours. What's your Valley moment? Okay, I won't try not to make it too long, but I think it's one of the most interesting stories I've had about since I've been doing this. Um, I was seriously considering selling the Washington Informant. This was a couple years after my dad passed. Mm -hmm. And one of our photographers told me, he said, you know, you really need to talk to Don King, the boxing promoter, Mm -hmm. because he bought the Cleveland Column Post, and he's interested in buying newspapers, and he may want to buy the Informer. So I said, okay. So um, I went to a press conference that he had here um, and uh, met him, and we were about to go to lunch to talk, and when... Before before then, I got a call from my printer that told me that if I didn't get them $2,000 within two hours, they weren't going to print our newspaper that day. And it was, it was in December, like the first or second week of December. And I told Mr. King, I said, well, um, I've got to go to the bank and I'll meet you at the restaurant. And I guess he could read in my face. He said, what's wrong? And I said, um, I just have to get something to my printer. We had no money in the bank. There was nothing for me to go to the bank for. I didn't know where I was going to get two grand from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, all I, my mind was racing. Where am I going to get this money from? How am I going to get this paper printed? What am I going to do? And so he said, you know, what are you going to the bank for? I said, I got to get my printer some money. He said, how much do you need? I said, two grand. He pulled out $2,100 bills and gave it to me. And I was in such a state of shock. Um, so I, you know, called a taxi. The taxi came and picked up the money. They took the money to the printer. And um, so I went to talk to Mr. King. He told me, he said, look, you know, give me a price, <clears throat> but I'm not going to go over a certain amount. I said, okay. A couple of weeks later, you know, he was going to, he was up in New Jersey, um, Atlantic City mm. doing a fight. He said, do you want to come up? I said, sure. So he, I could talk to his lawyer. <clears throat> drove to New York, drove to Atlantic City in the dark, in the rain, mm-hmm. which was um, panicking the whole way. I get there. I talk to the lawyer. We have a brief, really brief conversation. I give him a price. He says, okay, put it in writing. I'm like, oh, God, okay. So I went back, and um, as I'm sitting there, uh, this is about two weeks later, and I realized how desperate I was to to want to sell him this newspaper because I didn't see anywhere to go. There was no money. <laughs> my, I didn't have much of a staff. There was just nothing. Then I got these people in my ear telling me, you ought to be. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if I took a shower, went to sleep. I don't know what happened. But I woke up the next morning and I said, because I was so desperate. If he had offered me 10 cents, I would have given it to him. And I thought about it, and I said, you know what? This paper is worth so much more than where he's really trying to get me with the price. And, you know, I want to, if I'm to sell this paper, I'm going to sell it knowing that it has value and not because I'm just desperate to get rid of it. So I cut off communications with him and that, um, you know, that sale, because he wasn't going to give me what I wanted anyway. You know, I'd been given a price. I'd talked to people. He wasn't going to pay that. And I said, I'm going to create the best newspaper I can, create the most value that I can, and then I can dictate what the price will be when I want to sell it. So, um, you know, it it was, he came at a good time because he helped me on that, moment when I just was really desperate and I mean I don't maybe I don't I know I didn't cry but I guess he could see in my face just the panic and um, but he also helped me to 
realize that, you know, I've got a jewel here and it's not, you know, it's not anything I can just throw away. So that was probably a valley moment that I just had to work my way through. And uh, again, prayer, I guess the Lord said, look, <laughs> get your butt up and go to work tomorrow. <laughs> Start right. getting some ads for that newspaper. Yes. So thank you it. so much for sharing your Valley moment. It was sure. awesome. And I know that it will be a blessing to somebody listening. I still owe Mr. King that money. Back, yeah, I was going to ask. I was going to ask. Like, <laughs> somebody said, don't call him because he's going to charge you interest. I was like, oh, that's a thought. But, you know, I do. I, I send him little notes periodically just to let him know. That's just so grateful. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, well, we have come to the end of the show. Um, would you like to share the information for the Washington Informer, how people can visit the website or follow oh, sure. you on social media? Yeah, thank you. I mean, you can find the Washington Informer. We distribute to about 650 locations in the D.C. area. If you're interested in knowing where to pick up a copy, feel free to call us at 202-561-4100. Again, it's 202 202- Five six one four one zero zero, and you can find us online at WashingtonInformer.com. It's WashingtonInformer.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So check us out. Become a friend. Follow us. Read us. <laughs> call us. <laughs> Thank you so much, Angel. I really appreciate this. You're yeah. welcome. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be able to present you with the One Behind the Business Paragon Award. Thank you. And um, for all our listeners, you can learn more about the Washington Informer. I will put some information up on our website. Um, and you'll also be able to check out past broadcasts of the Women Behind the Business at WBBTalk.com. And be sure to follow us on social media at WBBTalk. A special thank you to our show producer, Cal Murdoch, and our program director, Max Myrick. Until next time, stay blessed.